Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to the Seahawkers podcast, the official podcast of the official booster club of the Seattle Seahawks. I'm Brandon Schultz, member of the military Seahawkers and across the table from me, as always, co-host Adam Emmert. Hey, man, how's it going? You know what? I just wanted to wish you a happy post-game victory pod. Yes, it's so awesome to be on talking about a regular season win, a win, a win, baby, undefeated. That's right. One and zero, leading the division. Yep, tied for the lead in the division. A little bit of company. But yeah, that's yeah. cool. That's okay. That's okay. And I think uh, I think they won 12-7, 12 to seven out of tribute to all of us. Yeah, twelfth man. Thank so. you. And the the comeback yeah. victory in the fourth quarter. I I think that was you know appropriate. Well, I, yeah, that's what Russell does. I, I saw somebody on Twitter. Uh, they said you know if the Seahawks and Russell Wilson have fifteen more of these fourth quarter comeback wins in them, uh, I just don't know if I'm up for it. Oh no, I'd have twelve in me. <laughs> And then I would die of a heart attack. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I was I was stressing out a little bit. I'm not gonna lie during during the game, but uh, you know, I, it wasn't until about uh, you know midway through the third quarter before I started to feel yeah, like yeah, you a start little... going yeah, it's about time we could use a lead. Uh, yeah, just not yeah. Uh, real comfortable uh, being in uh, in the back seat there. But you know, the way Russell's been throughout the you know throughout the the last part of the season last mm-hmm. year, and I mean, you knew he had it in him and. I mean, even going into the second half, you know, I was telling people, hey, you know, defense has Carolina right where they want them. You know, they're not going to allow any points in the second half. Oh, definitely not. They didn't. Yeah, you could see that uh, the defense was absolutely dominant. And that's one of those markers that I generally see throughout the first few games of a season, really, is defenses tend to be ahead of the offenses. Uh, it's just, you know, timing and, and things of that nature that it takes, and you know, with actual game time experience to get your offense to click. And as you saw... Both the defenses, you know, Carolina's and ours, were, you know, ahead of the offenses in this game. But I, the way they played, the way the defense played, I just knew that uh, Russell, he could definitely conjure up at least one touchdown for us. And uh, we just needed to put a drive together where we didn't beat ourselves. Yeah. Because that really was the problem. We had moved the ball all game. It reminded me a lot of the uh, Atlanta game first half where we just moved the ball up and down the field for the most part. I mean, short of those first two drives, but, you know, those were... Right. We had know. the opportunity to score right there at the end of the second half. Yeah. And then, the uh, you know, Wilson, Wilson gets sacks, sacked in the, the fumble. The fumble. Panthers yeah. recover. So, but the Seahawks come out with a 12-7 to win. Uh, great to get off to, off to a 1-0 start for the season. Uh, got a great podcast for you today uh, of course we'll be talking about the Seahawks win over the Panthers uh, you know previewing the upcoming game against the 49ers on Sunday night football booyah yeah it's going to be great and uh, and then of course we uh, as always uh, after the break we'll get into some Harbaugh talk uh, always got to talk some Harbaugh especially with the 49ers game coming up 
Uh, we have Faces of Harbaugh, of course. We'll, uh, we'll be announcing the winner of our Face of Harbaugh contest. We had a lot of great submissions, so we'll look forward to getting to that. Uh, and then uh, after that, we'll be talking about NFC Worst uh, and sticking with the 49ers theme. Uh, got a good 49ers story for you. Well, not quite so good 49ers story but <laughs> depends on your perspective yeah, yeah you know it's uh it makes for interesting talk but uh yeah if you don't like guys getting shot then it's probably not yeah, a good not, story uh you know i like partying and all but uh the 49ers are not guys that i would want to party with apparently well, really yeah. they're not they're not above reproach when they're partying yeah well we'll get to that okay. so Just uh a question yeah yeah keep that in the back of your mind and uh, of course finishing off the show with who is better at life than skip bayless and uh, got some good ones for you. You know, I kind of, uh, as I think about the who's better at life than Skip Bayless, and, and as we go back and think of some of the, um, the people that we've mentioned, I, I almost feel like it's disingenuous of, you know, some of these stories are such good stories. And, you know, just, and to compare them to Skip Bayless, it just, uh, something seems a little bit off, but uh, just, just remember the intent uh, as, we, as we set this up. Well, you say compare, I would say contrast. And, that's, and I, think that's, I think that's where we're going with that. Yes. You know, I mean, especially, you know, we brought up Richard Sherman on the last one. I mean, he's clearly better at life than Skip Bayless, you right. know? And yeah, it's not a comparison, like, because they're not comparable, because Skip stinks and uh, Richard's awesome. Yeah. Like as a person and a player. And yeah, so it's more of a contrast. So keep that contrast in mind when yeah. we're talking about these stories. Yeah. I yeah. think most people get it. <laughs> yeah. We, you know what? Uh, we got into the game a little bit. We did. Okay. And, uh, but let's go back and, you know, speaking of Richard Sherman, uh, you know, the defense did play a great game, but Richard Sherman, he had the opportunity to get the defense off to a great start. And he dropped the pick from Cam Newton, like just. It was in his hands. Yeah, and you know, if you hear the Rabel call of, of that play, it's not, he says that uh, Sherman looks like he's practically crying on the ground <laughs> he because did. he like collapsed to the ground. Yeah, because he knew, he knew, <laughs> he knew. You know, that was a good uh, that was a good way to start out the season to prove that you are indeed better than Darrell Rivas at everything. And uh, yeah, so he drops but, the interception, but you know what? He breaks up the pass. Still, I mean, that's pretty good. He broke up the pass, but it did you know pin the Seahawks back on the fifth, uh, the five yard line, and so the, yeah, the. The Seahawks really struggled with field position in the first half, holy, and, and if Sherman gets that pick, I mean that really changes the whole uh, the whole way that the first half played out because the Seahawks would have had better p- field position and would have been able to potentially pin the the Panthers back a little bit more. Oh, for sure, and you know that's one of those things which you look at you know field position throughout those first couple drives. It was putrid, but that's the type of game that Seattle can play. I mean, we can actually go out there and play a field position, defensive-oriented game and come out on top. I mean, that was proven all throughout last year. It was proven again this Sunday. It, you know, it was uh, one of those things where, yeah, I mean, if the field position had flipped on the Sherman thing, you bet. Maybe we would have uh, had a little more offensive rhythm, maybe not gotten penalties a couple times there to kill drives and found some rhythm and, and really scored. But like I said, I felt like the offense actually moved the ball overall really well throughout the game. I mean, those first two drives. Outside of the first two drives. Yeah. I mean, tell me you weren't worried, uh, you know, when Russell Wilson on that first drive, he almost took a sack in the end zone, almost threw a, an interception as he was throwing it away. I don't know how that was an intentional grounding, to be honest. If, I, 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 there, who was there other than the defender? Oh, right. Well, he did get called for intentional grounding a little bit later, but I, he did get away with that one when he was going back. In the yeah, game, so. yeah. No, the yeah. one that he got called for later in the game, he just didn't get past the line of scrimmage. Right. But, yeah, no, that one, I, that was, 
I was I was a little nervous there, but the thing was is uh, you know I had a couple of our friends you know razzing me a little bit there through the first couple drives and and no I, I actually really wasn't that worried. I, I knew that we'd get on track. I knew that we'd find a rhythm. I knew that that this was a a defense that we could dominate. Even though the Panthers front seven was pretty darn good in this game, they were good. And you know one thing that was pointed out during the game is you know the Panthers they have a pretty quietly good defense over the I mean you know 2012 they had a top 10 defense mm-hmm. and you didn't really hear much of that but they showed it against the Seahawks oh for sure and this is one of those cases where you look at a first game of a season where it's difficult to come out with a road win I mean this was a game that was unbelievably hot it was the home opener for the Carolina Panthers opening day they were going to be as revved up as a team can be revved up and then you talked about the defense well yeah that defense is really good but they're not nearly as deep as we are as a team they're still a thin team when it comes to talent yeah they have you know good talent in their starters but the guys behind them yeah no there's not a lot of talent there so you're getting a team at its peak strength and you know those factors combined, you know, being hot, being a 10 a.m. start, being, you know, coming across country, a home opener with all that energy and a team playing with all of its guys for maybe, you know, the only time all season or at least the first couple games. That's a that's a tough, tough game to win. Well, and, and you're making the case for exactly why th- this game was like the Vogue pick for for, um, you know, people like Skip Bayless, who who would say, oh, I see the Seahawks going 0-2. And it mm-hmm. was because of all those factors that you just listed. Sure, sure. And, you know, I had talked about it, uh, I think, in our first pod that this game, you know, worried me a little bit kind of going in. And um, But, hey, a win's a win, and even if it's ugly. And, you know, the offense, like I said, it got on track. The defense was dominant. And this was a game that you saw the difference between Russell Wilson this year and the Russell Wilson at the beginning of the season last right. year. And, and Coach Carroll mentioned that in the postgame press conference. Well, and not just pointing toward Russell Wilson, but the whole team. Yes. Is that this team, you know, at this point last year, they had a similar opportunity, and yes. they couldn't get it done. Yeah. I mean, I thought the way the offensive line was playing – that, uh, you know, Braylon Edwards is going to show up and drop the game-winning <laughs> touchdown pass. <laughs> it looked like the offensive line of last right. year at this time. Yeah, Stephen Williams did his best to try to to, to duplicate he that. Did, but, but uh, uh, yeah. you know, it, yeah, it's it was one of those games that uh, the, th- the biggest thing that I took away from it is that the Seahawks have learned to finish. And that was the point that you were just making there. And that's the biggest thing. That is the leap between a young team and a veteran team. And you saw it at the end of last year, and I I think we all felt pretty comfortable with their ability to finish at that point. But I didn't know if that was going to translate onto this year. You know, I mean, it's new players. You got more young guys and all that. And it takes time to learn to finish. And you see that... They went it in the fourth quarter. They went out there. That last drive where they took off the last five and a half minutes of the clock, yeah. you know, that was impressive. Well, that was one of the things I think I was most impressed with. I mean, you go back to the years where Holmgren was coaching the team, and it seemed like if the Seahawks got the ball with five minutes left in the game, you could always count on them just running the ball on the ground three times in a row and giving the ball back to the other team to give them another chance to score. Right. And that's one of the teams, the things that we've seen from these Pete Carroll teams is that they're going to go out and they're going to win the game with, with the last four or five minutes on the clock. They aren't going to just go out there and you know run through the motions, try and spin some clock. They're going to go out and try and win. Absolutely. And they actually added you know a few running plays within that and that was when the running game was finally working you know there at the end of the third quarter throughout the fourth quarter you saw the running game pick up steam a little bit there you know a lot has been made a big deal about the offensive line play in this game and yes 
when it came to the running game, we struggled. We struggled with that. I listened to an interview with Pete Carroll this morning on the Brock and Danny show, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he said that he felt that the struggles with the offensive line lied with the coach, Pete Carroll. He thought it lied with himself because apparently they may have done some more complex running schemes or running techniques. And they just weren't ready for it. And they just weren't ready for it. And he said Tom Cable had a diff- difficult time making the necessary adjustments because of those things. He talked a lot about simplifying things for the offensive line the next game. And he he, uh, he said he wasn't worried about it. And the way that he said he wasn't worried about it, mm-hmm. no, I'm not worried about it. <laughs> I think we're going to run the ball just fine you know, in the upcoming week. Well, and I mean, it, it's always been a difference. You see the team a little bit uh, operate a little bit differently on the road than they do at home. I think at home they're a little bit more comfortable. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously maybe noise is a little bit of a factor for them, you know, especially that first game and, you know, really being in a hostile environment. All those things, you know, add up, and that's the advantage of playing at home. You know, the thing about the offensive line, a lot of people have also pointed to the really poor pass protection, but I didn't really think it was that poor. A lot of people have have said that it was just putrid. Honestly, a lot of that time that Russell was getting harassed, it was after he had held the ball for a good, you know, two, three, even four, five seconds at times. That's something that's difficult for an offensive line, no matter who you're playing. I thought it was more a result of great coverage downfield than it was dominant defensive line play against our offensive line and pass protection. I thought they had a better grade there than most people gave them. The other thing that I thought Carolina did really well was containing Wilson was because, you know, a lot of times in the past games, you'd see Wilson when he got under pressure, he would escape out of the pocket, get get outside and find guys that were open. But they were, you know, rushing those edges and containing him. So he didn't have anywhere to go but to step up in the pocket or, you know, to try and bounce around in there a little bit. And you saw that on the on the the one play where he uh, he went back and he spun around and he was looking for ways to, to yeah. get away. And then he threw it like he was just throwing it out of bounds. And Doug Baldwin came out of nowhere. Oh, and, you, mean, you mean the miraculous Doug Baldwin reception? Right? Yeah. Holy cow. I, when that play happened, I I jumped out of my chair. I, I I have lowish ceilings, and so I when I jumped and just threw my hands in the air, I hit this. I hit the ceiling. I, I was screaming at the top of my lungs. That is one of those plays. In in that, all of the plays, honestly, with Doug Baldwin speak to this shows the difference in the rapport that Russell has with our receivers this year as opposed to last year. Especially with Doug Baldwin on third down, he was a third down monster. He was in this a third game. down monster. Uh, Seven. A la 2011 again. Yeah, well, he seven catches from Doug Baldwin. Four of his seven catches all were on third down. That's called clutch. And including on the last drive, the 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 only third down that they had on the last drive, Wilson was looking for Baldwin. And it was interesting, you know, listening to Wilson in his post game press conference because, you know, he out of all the receivers, he he specifically named Doug Baldwin. So I think that's the guy that we're going to see. You know. Wilson going toward on third down. Oh, especially with Percy Harvin out. You know, that's that's going to be kind of the guy. I thought he looked to Golden a lot more last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Golden still had a good game, too. He did. He, well, he, especially in the punt returns. I mean, that guy is shifty. He's fearless. I'll give him that. Some of those, though, I wouldn't mind to see him let go. <laughs> I mean, when you're on the 7 to 5, I mean, I, I don't know. I was always told, you know, if you're inside the 10-yard line, just let it go. Let yeah. it go. Because there, there's... Two bad things that can happen if you catch it. One is, or you don't catch it, and it ends up being a, a muffed punt, mm-hmm. you know, like the Panthers had. Or, you know, you catch it, and you're you're immediately tackled, and there you are. You're you're stuck there on the seven yard line. Well, there's actually one good thing that can happen if you just let it go, and that's roll into the end zone. And you start at the twenty. Start at the twenty, right? 
I, I just don't understand that. That's something that drives me crazy that young players do. And, you know, Golden, what's this, his fourth year now? Yeah, I, you know, with a guy like Golden, I, he's one of those guys, though, that could catch it on the 10, make a guy miss, and be gone. It's so, true. It's risk-reward. It is. But that's a place on the field that I think you play it safe. I really do. Yeah. I really do. It, so that, that bothered me a little bit. But he did do a nice job with it when he, when he you know, caught the ball and, he did. and went he, after it. He made it, some so. moves. He got, the, he got the Hawks into some good field position. Yeah. You know, while we're, ta- while, while we're talking special teams. Yeah. yeah. Well, while? <laughs> while I can try and talk. Yes. Um, I think we need to go back to the first punt by John Ryan. Holy nuggets. I mean, that, that was, was a, a bomb. That was a monster. He punted that from Calgary. I know. Well, I <laughs> I was saying he was doing his best Uncle Rico impression. I, I think he probably <laughs> told, you know, the long snapper, uh, Clint Gresham, you know, I'm going to punt this ball over that mountain. <laughs> <laughs> and he did. And was, he did. That was across I, time zones. It, I was, mean, it was unreal. Officially 69 yards, but he did it from the back of the end zone. Yeah. And, and they measure it from from the uh, line of scrimmage. Yeah, and that punt made me feel real good because about five seconds before that, when the announcers actually announced that Ted Good Jr. had dropped back oh, to return the punt, I, I, think I had all, palpitations. I think every I Seahawk fan had palpitation. <laughs> what? Ted Good Jr. plays for the Panthers? Where did he come from? I, I thought he was still with the 49ers. God, I wish he was hurt right now. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that really freaked me out a little bit. It so. was. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, John Ryan, man, he... He can boot it. He did, and, he, and his next punt was a long one, too. I think it was somewhere around like 56 yards, something along those lines. But uh, he, he had a whale of a game, John Ryan. Yeah. So congratulations to him. And, and then, of course, you know, the other guy on special teams, Steve Hauschka, mm-hmm. uh, kicking the two field goals, yeah. you know. Uh, he Just was money. money. Just money. You know, money inside the 50 is always. As Randy Moss would say, he's straight cash, homie. Straight cash, homie. Yeah. So, yeah, I was really, really, really pleased with our special team play. I thought it was great all day. That's where we got our turnover. Uh, off of the Panthers when that uh, the oblong ball took a funny bounce and right yeah you know off that guy's foot and we end up with the recovery there so yeah special teams was great the defense was awesome you know one of the things that really impressed me about one of our offensive players and it's not because penalties were a problem throughout the game mm-hmm. I guess is kind of where I'm getting but oh, yeah. one guy who avoided a penalty that generally does not was Breno Giacomini yes and that was well done on his part it was he showed self-restraint he did and that a floored me and B made me really excited well the official was really quick to jump in too so I think that was a big help I I think if the official wasn't right there I, I think Breno would have retaliated but uh I don't know I, I saw it in his eyes he wanted to <laughs> He's kind of a mauler. I, I, I could see that, yeah. But that was really great self-restraint on his part. I thought that was great. But penalties as a whole, my goodness, fellas. This this is the... I mean, I've talked about this before. It's something that just fuels my fire. It makes me just freak out. But, you know, penalty yardage, holy cow, nine penalties for 109 yards. And they were drive killers, too. I mean, yes. on two... They had the Seahawks had three trips inside the red zone, yeah. and on two of the tr- the three trips inside the twenty, they those were uh, drives that they got penalized on and right. pushed them back out of the red zone. Yeah, it it was really problematic. We were given away points. You know, after that punt return, we end up with the with the fifteen uh, yard penalty on KJ Wright for taunting. Right, that backs them out of field goal range. We can't get anything going. Boom, just gave away three points. Mm-hmm. Give away points on the Russell Wilson fumble. I mean, we're running down you know right down their throats there. About ready to score at least three points. I mean, that's a big difference. There were a lot of points left out on the field there by the Seahawks. I, I really feel like they were beating themselves a lot more than the Panthers were beating them down. They were, and and the one, 
The one place where they did get it back, though, was the Earl Thomas uh, when he caused the fumble because the Panthers, they were driving like they mm-hmm. were going to, you know, pull ahead in the game. Possibly, yeah, or at least kick a field goal. They were, you know, should have got points out of that drive. Well, they that, that run was going to get them all the way down to inside the 10-yard line. Yeah. So yeah. they would have had first and 10 and inside yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, first they'd and goal an, inside the 10. Yeah, they'd have an opportunity for Cam Newton to dirt it. <laughs> and not score but yeah like like he did last year on that last drive but yeah, right. you know I, I think D'Angelo Williams had a, a flashback at that point of Brandon Browner ripping the ball out of his hands and <laughs> that's that's how it goes this time it was Earl and you know we we're fortunate and that was one of those things our friend Jared we were watching the, the game together and mm-hmm. he goes oh that's just lucky da 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 that's what the Seahawks do well look there's a difference between turnovers that are lucky and turnovers that or a forced turnover. For example, the turnover on the punt return uh, by the Panthers, that was lucky. That was pretty lucky. That, that's just lucky. That, on D'Angelo Williams, that fumble, that was a forced fumble. That is something that is practiced. That is something that you try to do. That is something that was actively thought about, and an, an action was taken to try to make that fumble happen. Well, you saw it with the Byron Maxwell fumble, too. I mean, he, you know, he wound up and, and knocked the ball out of there, and... Uh, you could see that you know that's something the Seahawks practice. Oh, for sure. I, I mean, mean they, it was just that that happened uh, when Byron Maxwell did it. It just happened to go out of bounds, so that was kind of an unlucky bounce. But, but it's a good play. You give yourself opportunities that way. I mean, he punched that out there a la Peanut Tillman for the Bears. You know, the guy who's the master of that. Yeah, right. And that's a guy that shows that proves my point right there that it is a learned trait. It is something that you can get good at. It is something that you can practice. It is something that you can excel at. And I, I was really impressed uh, on that line. You know, one thing that people got on the defense about a little bit was the amount of rushing yards that we gave up. I think it was like 127 rushing yards throughout the game to it the was. Carolina It was Panthers. over 100. But, but or 124 net rushing yards. That's honestly not that many. Well, for a running team like Carolina, I mean, they were missing uh, Jay Stu, you know, sure. Jonathan Stewart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, that's that's what. Carolina is looking to go out there and do is is be a running team. Absolutely, with a lot of that read option stuff and and all those things. But you know, we really kept Cam Newton in check all game, and I thought that some people pointed to a little bit of a lack of pass rush too by the defense in this game. But honestly, that's a little more of a scheme thing mm-hmm. in in this particular case because when you're playing a running quarterback like that, you can't just pin your ears back and loop around the edges to try to get to that. Uh, quarterback you have to have a controlled rush something that comes up and is and is a little softer and you keep those edges set to keep them in the pocket a lot like the panthers were doing to russell a right. little bit and, and you did see it on a couple times where cam really got out was when they were a little too aggressive and the the middle was wide open and you know cam just ran for the open field exactly and you're going to give up a few runs to cam newton yeah the guy's a remarkable athlete he's not a great guy but he's a he's a <laughs> remarkable athlete and I, I really felt like when you hold Cam Newton to 125 yards passing and one touchdown, yeah, you're doing something right there. Right. Uh, one thing that did concern me, and this is the one thing that I'll dig on the defense about a little bit, is our coverage of tight ends. And this is something that drives me crazy because if I'm an if I'm an offensive coordinator that's playing the Seahawks, that's the one place I attack is the middle of the field in that seven to thirteen yard range, you know, behind the linebackers. People abuse us there with the tight ends. And I don't know if it's a function of linebacker coverage or, you know, not great communication between linebackers and the safeties. What's going on there? But we got to get that under control. Greg Olson, if he had a pair of hands on him, he would have been, he would have had a huge game. And he still ended up with five receptions for 56. Well, the yards. first half, he was really struggling to catch the ball. And I don't know if that was because Cam just couldn't get it to him 
or what was going on there. So I was kind of wondering if in the second half they're like, well, forget this. Why even cover him? You know, he can't. He, he's dropping everything coming his way. But he turned it on in the second half, and he was catching everything. He was catching everything. And, uh, you know, if I see a guy that's just dropping wide open passes or, you know, passes that hit him in the hand in the first half, that's a guy that I'm still concentrating on in the second half. You know, that's, that's a guy that, that's got my attention now. Right. Yeah, and that's one of those areas where you do see the Seahawks seem to have trouble is, is with those tight ends. And, and it does kind of have to worry you, too, especially with a matchup against the 49ers coming up. You know, Vernon Davis, you know, uh, well, Cam Chancellor showed that uh, you know what to do when... Uh, when Vernon it, Davis is not coming over the middle in this game. Yeah, I, I have to think that With he's any ha- kind of have confidence. some flashbacks. You think? Yeah. He suffered PSD for weeks over that, I'm sure. That, there's no way. I mean, that's that was one of the hardest hits I've ever seen. Yeah. And, but it, it'll be interesting to see how the Seahawks cover the, the 49ers tight ends because they have that McDonald kid out of Rice, the starting tight end from Rice uh, that they drafted just ahead of us. And that guy can play a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you got two guys that are, you know, legitimate receiving threats. That'll be interesting to see. But in well, this game, we struggled against their tight ends. And that's something that's been bothering me for a while. That's why I really hope a guy like Brandon Browner is going to come back because he's going to give you some of that physicality with those receivers. And I mean, with Anquan Baldwin, you know, you look at uh, a guy like Brandon Browner is a guy that you can put on Bolden and, and match that physicality. Well, that's the guy that you're going to want on him. There's no doubt about it. Because uh, Anquan Bolden does not have the speed that he once did, obviously. And he never was a real blazer no, at, no. at any point in his career. But Brent, he will go up and catch anything and try and bring it down. I mean, you saw it against yeah. the Packers. Yeah. I mean, he, he was surrounded by two guys, and uh, Kaepernick just throws it up. Bolden goes up and brings it down almost right over a guy's helmet. Yeah, you know, it was impressive. He, he has had, those catches in him. Oh, without question. I mean, he he was a master of being covered and making a catch. That is that is his one elite skill set. But with that said, too, he was open quite a bit where the Packers just completely, totally forgot where Anquan Bolden was on the field. Um, Which, I, I feel like we're getting the Niners game a bit. I don't know if you had anything more on this, but uh, yeah, but that was one of those plays. The, the one that stood out to me with Anquan Bolden was uh, that. Uh, last third down pickup that they were trying to get to kind of run the clock out and it was the pass to Bolden kind of you know along the sidelines as she kind of cut back to the middle uh Tremont Williams just completely couldn't figure out where he was at the beginning of the play and you know you'd leave the guy open and you get all twisted around and that's done I don't think the Seahawks make that kind of mistake you find where number 81 is oh I mean they made that clear I mean and and I, I think I've wrapped up all the things that I want to uh to say about the Seahawks and Panthers so okay we, cool we, we can get into this uh this the Niners game a bit more it. here yeah great, definitely great. okay uh, you know the one thing I did want to say you know in regard to penalties though I and I don't know if you saw this differently but that the Michael Bennett uh, uh um, personal foul on Cam Newton where they mm-hmm. call a face mask yep. on him I was pretty sure that he just had a hold of his collar and and not the face mask, but uh, oh, he got the face mask. Okay. But it, but it was one of those where in the old days yeah. when they had the five or fifteen that yard variety, it would have been a fiver. Okay. He let go pretty quickly. You know that was just that was just unlucky. Yeah. You know, just how well, you end up like that. And and after the game, Carroll seemed to he he addressed the penalty issue, and and he seemed to be pretty happy with all the penalties. But that was kind of the one that I had a question in my mind, and and uh, you know, I may not have seen the fingers brush the face mask. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they did. Uh, the the one, the the two penalties that really bothered me the most was on Mike Person, the back to back ones there when he only played three plays and ended up with two penalties. And you know, being from Montana and being a, a Montana Grizzly alumni, right. to watch a Montana State Bobcat screw things up for my 
my team is infuriating. He's a Montana guy, though. You kind of have to root for him. I kind of do, but I kind of don't want to yeah. still at the end of the day. It's like, I'll root for you if you don't screw things up for my team. But if you're going to be a Bobcat and do Bobcat things, yeah, get off my team. It, it, this is his first game in. You know, I, I, I'm... I didn't go to uh, U of M, so I, I don't have quite the uh, the animosity. Know, yeah, I, I'm I can uh, get behind a bobcat if I have to, and uh, even though we know, don't want to be in front of a bobcat, <laughs> <laughs> they'll take it down. They're vicious, and you don't want to be anywhere near a grizzly. So that's we'll exactly right. That's exactly but, right. But uh, so yeah, let's. Uh, but one let's... place you do want to be is in CenturyLink Stadium. Coming up here week two with the 49ers coming in. This is going to be awesome. Yes, and it's going to be awesome. Seahawks fans are going to bring the noise. I, you know, I'm so bummed that I missed that last game against the 49ers. I mean, you could feel through the TV just how loud it was. Just and the now energy. we're going to be there. I know. I can't even believe it. It's, uh, it's, it's a little surreal. I, I, you know, I've been to the one game last year that was regular season game, but it was the week uh, 17 game against the Rams. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that had electricity and juice to it. But, you know, we'd already clinched for the playoffs and, you know, it's the Rams and yeah. blah, blah, blah. But this game, this might be one of the more important home games of the year against our biggest rival. I can't wait to not be able to talk after it. <laughs> you can't even see, uh, you know, for people listening. I mean, Adam is like vibrating. He's so excited. Like, I'm about freaking this game. out. Like I have my hands, like you know, going in the air and the whole thing. You know, like I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. Oh man, bring my game uh, face. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be loud. You know, uh, and you know, I have to, I have to caution Seahawks fans. You know, I I think they're. After watching the uh, the Packers and the Niners, mm-hmm. you know, you th- I think there's that little bit of worry, you know, that w- that you compare the the Forty Niners at home performance against the Packers, and you compare the the Seahawks on the road performance against the Panthers, and you know, they just don't uh, quite match up to maybe some of the expectations you had coming into this game. But I mean, it's two different things. I mean, you saw how the Seahawks played on the road in San Francisco. And then you saw how the Seahawks played at home against San Francisco, and it was night and day. And so, you know, to compare how the how Seattle played in Carolina and, and try and think that that's how they're going to come out and play, you know, in front of a packed, noisy crowd at CenturyLink, I, it's it's not going to be anything like the Carolina game. It's apples and oranges. It, but there's one thing that, you know, if you make the comparison— the Seahawks won by five points. They could have won by eight if we would have kicked the field goal at the end, but we elected to take a kneel down anyways. Right. Packers won by or the uh, Niners won by seven. Yeah, everybody thinks that the Niners dominated that game in a fashion that was unbelievable, but their defense didn't play all that well. No. To, to be honest, and you know, and Green, Green Bay doesn't have a great defense. They do not have a great defense, and you know what they did is they concentrated on keeping Colin Kaepernick in the pocket because they struggled with that hardcore in the playoffs last year, and they got torched through through the air by Colin Kaepernick against a depleted secondary. That's one thing I didn't realize coming into this game was how many injuries that the Packers had in the secondary and how many new guys that they were plugging in and all that. It didn't surprise me that Cap had a big day against that. You better. Well, and that's what I mean about the Packers' defense. I, I think the Packers do have a, a pretty strong defensive line. They obviously have good linebackers. They have Clay Matthews. So, I mean, they're going to get out. Yeah, they have good players, uh, but it is the, those DBs. And, I mean, that's what you saw all last year was that, you know, you attack the DBs when you play Green Bay, and, uh, and 49ers did that. 
Oh, absolutely. That's That was their game plan going in. You could de- definitely tell that's the way that they were going to go for it because they knew what the Packers were going to do. The one thing the Packers couldn't do in this game was give up a zillion rushing yards to Colin Kaepernick again. I mean, their fans were freaking out over that mm-hmm. last year. There's no way they could do that. They had to concentrate on stopping that. you know. And you heard Dom Capers, their defensive coordinator for the Packers, talk all about how he needed to go ahead and figure out how to stop the read option and how he goes to Texas A&M to you know, talk to Johnny Manziel's coaches and blah, blah, blah. So that was their... That was their main thing. And you didn't even see the read option that much out of the 49ers in this last game, mainly because they decided to attack him a different way. Look, if you don't have DBs that can actually find your number one receiver on any given play, right. like Tremont Williams, you, you're going to struggle in pass, or in pass coverage. You're not going to see the Niners be able to throw the ball around like that in this game, which means they'll have to rely on their run game, which honestly didn't look that great. The Packers bottled them up for most of the game. Frank Gore struggled. He did, and uh, there were a couple times where he just flat fell down in the backfield. You know, he saw the pressure coming. It was almost like watching Sean Alexander toward the end of his career. <laughs> just tripping over the numbers, the yeah. turf monster getting you know, And then, oh, I don't want to get hit. I better lay down on the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, that wasn't a, a time clock, uh, you know, issue. That was just uh, right? flat wanting to get down. <laughs> it was, it was. So, no, I don't feel like the Niners dominated in the fashion that everybody seems to think that they did. That was a close game throughout. Uh, it, the Packers were even up late in that game. Just a couple little things go one way or another, and that's a loss for the 49ers. Well, and, you know, it was one thing that was interesting about that game, and, and I don't know if there are any other Seahawks fans thinking this, but when it came down to four seconds and Green Bay had that one last play left, you know, how many people were thinking or just hoping that the Packers could replicate what what uh, Seattle did to the Packers last year? You know, well, obviously any Seahawks fans wanted to see a, you know, a winning Hail Mary, but, you know, how great would it have been just to, to have a replication of, you know, the, the Packers receiving coming down with the ball, you know, with the, the, the DB holding on to it, too, and have that uh, that same catch. You know, maybe it was just a dream of mine, That, uh, but everything happens so quickly, you know. It does. Well, you know, earlier in that game, there was a play where the Niners went deep to the end zone, and it wasn't exactly Hail Mary, but, you know, he kind of chucked it up that way, and mm-hmm. uh, the DB and the uh, receiver came down, and it was nearly simultaneous possession, but it looked a lot like the right. Golden Tate play, and it got called back for a penalty anyway, but I guarantee you that every Packer fan was just having, like, massive flashbacks. I, I wanted the Packers to win exactly that way. Well, I wanted the Packers to win anyway, but... Well, the Packers, unfortunately, are cursed against NFC West teams when it comes to getting the correct calls. Come on, refs. You got to do better than that. That was honestly, that was my biggest problem with that game is that that uh, personal foul that went against Clay Matthews out of bounds. Extra the third down. Yeah. Joe Staley comes in, you know, is is loaded for berries, ready to do business. Dude, he came at Clay Matthews with bad intentions. It seemed like. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He came at him like Alden Smith with a gun. And, you know, it was. (laughs) You're going to get that joke later, folks. But yeah. But they call it, you know, offsetting. Right. And they end up replaying third down. And you're not supposed to replay third down. It should have been fourth and two. Because it was a dead ball penalty. Right. So the Niners have to kick a field goal there. That's a four point swing in a game where, you know, Packers ended up being down seven points at the end of the game. Well, if you're only down three points, that changes the entire dynamic of trying to get back down the field and, right. and at least go to overtime. That that was a game-altering uh, mess-up, and it's something that can't happen. Shame on you, refs. Well, and you know who it was? It was Bill Levy, who notoriously blew the calls in the Seahawks' Steelers Super Bowl. Oh, it is that guy. It was the same guy. The same guy that came and apologized to the Seahawks and actually like made a, an actual apology to the team for screwing that up. Same guy. Same guy. Wow. So yeah, he's uh, he's making some friends in the uh, 
in the NFC Central now. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got he's got a lot of friends everywhere. That Bill Levy. Yeah, but uh, you know, I and I didn't have such a huge problem with it. I mean, I know it, it, the thing that was kind of interesting to me is that the NFL came back today and they said, yeah, they shouldn't have been, uh, it shouldn't have been uh, allowed to go another third down, but also that Staley shouldn't have gotten the penalty. And And I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because, I mean, like I said before, Staley kind of looked like he had some bad intentions going on, uh, going into Clay Matthews like that. Oh, without question. Now, by the letter of the law, the way that you explained it to me, because I, I wasn't aware of this, mm-hmm. is that if you're trying to get between players to break something up then you you're not going to get flagged for personal foul but mm-hmm. he didn't go in there to break people up he was going in there to mix it up he he he, he, he was he the, you know the the intent there was uh um not friendly no no it no. wasn't it, it you know it was kind of interesting and um you know just how you know, Clay Matthews had talked about having some of those uh, needing to get to the quarterback, and he really hadn't had a whole lot of success, and it looked like he was just maybe trying a little bit too hard uh, diving out of bounds like that. Well, you know, Clay Matthews, there's only one speed for Clay Matthews, and that's just blow things up speed. Yeah. And that, well, that's, he, <laughs> that's a, he blew Kaepernick up on that play. He did, he did. And I mean, you can't... I mean, And that was his intent. Yeah, that was absolutely his intent. You know, uh, he's, a, he's a full-throttle guy, and you're going to have to live with some of those plays out out of him because of his demeanor and that's fine but it, you know I didn't I, to be honest though I wasn't aware that that was the way the rule read as far as you know not being able to replay third down at that point that it should have been fourth down and I didn't I didn't know that until right. after the Fox commentators came on with Mike Pereira and, and you know explained that right so you know but that's why you re- rely on professional referees yeah I don't read the rule book yeah this isn't even replacement refs I mean these are like the guys that are you the, know, that are supposed to know yeah you know you, you train for this so uh, apparently he's been uh, demoted or you know got downgraded or something oh, maybe he won't lines. be able to call the Super Bowl that be nice well yeah if i swear to you i swear to you brandon if bill levy is an official at this super bowl and the hawks are in it i bill levy might disappear he might go somewhere where nobody really knows uh just somebody record the game for me but um he won't be officiating that game i promise you that no and i i think that uh seahawks fans uh if they were to find that out um they might have something to say about it too, uh, leading up to it. So yeah, no, I don't I'm, think we have to worry. You know, this call. I, I think uh, you know if there is kind of any demotion, uh, that uh, that's one thing that we can be certain of is that believe you will not be right. uh, <laughs> right. repping the Super Bowl. Oh, please, please. So yeah, I mean, coming into this game, you know, we're at home, home opener. There's going to be so much energy, so much anticipation. We're going to get guys back too. You're going to see Cliff Ravel play this week. I, I, I feel pretty confident in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to see more out of Sidney Rice in this game. He didn't play a ton in the last game, but that's okay. Right. We, we, we didn't need him to. Uh, he made a couple nice catches. He did, you know, does what yeah. Sidney does. We you had know? Doug Baldwin. We had Golden Tate. Those guys uh, were catching the ball. Filled in admirably. Jermaine Curse obviously makes yeah, that obviously. huge guess. You know? um, so, yeah, uh, we're going to have guys coming back. I think that's going to make a, a big difference when it comes to that pass rush, uh, You know, going against Colin Kaepernick and all that. So I'm really interested to see if Clemens will be back this week. He's going to be. I promise you he will be. You think he'll be in there? Carroll always said he's a full go and practice all week. Yeah, well, that's what I heard. He was, you know, practicing, and I, I feel like that was the game that he had in his mind that he had to make it back for. So I really hope he's in there. You know, after seeing Chris Clemens on the Real Rob Report and seeing the type of seriousness that he takes life with, that is a man on a mission. Yes. And I promise you that mission was to be there week two for that home opener. Chris Cram- Chris Clemens is going to play, and he's going to play well. I hope so because uh, the Seahawks are going to need it, you know, especially against 
that offensive line of the of the 49ers they have a pretty solid offensive line yeah no they're good they have a couple pro bowlers yeah um so we're gonna need to get that pressure on Kaepernick I'd be surprised if we don't see Jordan Hill in this game too Ooh, yeah, yeah, I think that's going to be a big boost. Mebane played well in the last game. Uh, Tony McDaniel played well as uh, also. So mm-hmm. Red Bryant, yeah, you know, Red, he, yeah, Red looked good. He did, and uh, you know that's maybe not something that we saw. You know, he had uh, he had some speed in him. You know, on some of those plays, so it was good to see him. You know, getting some of those big run stops. You know, you know, getting a little bit of pressure on the he quarterback. Did. Uh, definitely good to see Red Bryan in there. Yeah, and like I said, that Niners defense did not look great against the Packers. I think that Russell Wilson showed you in this last game that he is the passer that we've all thought that he is. And, I mean, he breaks the 300-yard mark for the first time in this last game. I think he's going to throw all over that. Uh, in the regular season. Well, yeah, yeah, in the regular season. but uh, <laughs> Can't count him out of that Falcons game. But. Well, no, I mean, that, but that, yeah, that was that was just a special game. and uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it was uh, one of those things where I think he's going to come in, he's going to have a good game against these Niners, uh, especially in pass coverage. I do not believe in their – look for us to pick on their rookie safety read. Mm-hmm. You know, inexperienced guy in an environment that he has never played in. We're gonna we're gonna go after him a little bit because Zach Miller got out on the field and played pretty well. You know he had three catches for forty two yards in the last game. Uh, he's a he's a guy that can you know cause havoc you know against those safeties and things along that line. Yeah, he's a guy we're gonna need to play well for sure. Yeah. So as long as we can get that run game going, and like I said, just the way that Pete talked about the changes that they'll make going in this Forty ers game, I feel really confident that we're gonna see full beast in this next game. I I think it's uh, you know I. I think Lynch is probably not real happy with his performance in game one. He's going to be up for the challenge against the 49ers. So uh, I would, and, and the other thing too, I, you know, they really didn't try and go to Lynch real early in the, in the first game against the Panthers. Whereas I, I think, you know, they're really going to start feeding him early. I remember you texting me saying, geez, I, I hope that this run first team starts running the ball, right. You know, towards the beginning of that game. And yeah, we, we did come out and throw the ball around a lot more. Well, you look at that Panthers team, and you know their strength is the front seven, and their weakness is their is their DBs, and so that makes a little sense that you would kind of go after that a little bit more. And everybody's been calling for us to open up the passing game a little bit more as far as offensively goes. And well, and the other thing after I texted you that too, I mean, Wilson was one for five, but then you know he ended up finishing the game. What was it? Uh, twenty five, twenty five, thirty three. So yeah, uh, you know he only he missed you know four receivers in those first five passes, but he only missed, you know, four more times for the rest of the game. Well, so. one was a drop by Lynch. Yeah. You know, coming out in there in the flat. And the one was the drop by Williams, too, that, you know, nearly went to the end zone. And, yeah. And he, I mean, he had that ball in his arms. That's a tough catch. It was a tough catch. That's a tough catch, but, you know, being the... But Williams was coming down with those in the preseason almost without fail. Yeah. So I was a little bit surprised to see him drop it. Yeah, I was a little surprised, but that's one of those things where... I mean, how many did he make in the preseason? Like three to four of those? Yeah. Yeah, if you go four for five out of those catches over your last, you know, four games, that makes sense. Well, I mean, and, odds are going to catch up to you at some point. And Curse had the redemption catch, so we, you know, uh, he really bailed Williams out there. Chop, chop, solid game. You know, he didn't, the numbers don't really show it. You know, only the two receptions, but that one obviously was, the, it was as big, big as it could be. So, uh, but yeah, Russell was really efficient. You know, 75% completion after you start one for five. Yeah, Pete Carroll said he was absolutely on fire for the rest of the game, and he was. And especially, you know, as he, it, like I said, it was a little because he held on to the ball, but uh, for quite a while in the pocket. But with the amount of pressure that he was facing, he showed you that 
He'll get it done. Yeah. It, it just it don't make no never mind to him. Like, and I, I'm sure that's probably one of those notes that he's going to get is to get rid of the ball a little bit sooner, especially against the 49ers. I mean, they have a pretty stout yeah, defensive line, too. They do. It, but that's that's one of those characteristics of Russell Wilson, though. He held the ball longer than any quarterback in the league last year yeah. in the pocket. And that's a bit of his style of play. It's something that you're going to have to live with. Like you're going to, that brilliance that was the play to Doug Baldwin on the third down there that goes, you know, that's a product of holding onto the ball and taking a few more risks and in being in danger of being sacked and, and all those things. You take the good with the bad a little bit. And with that said, he makes way more good come out of it than bad. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you saw that he didn't have any interceptions. He had a couple calls that were kind of, you know, where he was on the line, where it could have, uh, the ball could have gotten intercepted. But, uh, you know, the big thing was he finished with zero interceptions and, you know, run around all you want. If, if you're going to find guys that are open and not, and, and throw the ball away when you have to, which he does. I mean, case in point, the Doug Baldwin catch. I mean, he was, you know, throwing it he away. Was throwing he was that away. he was throwing it away with the hopes that Baldwin would be there, and he showed up there, and and that was a beautiful, beautiful catch. It but was. but Russell made all sorts of throws in that game. He had one little kind of lob pass to to Baldwin where he kind of got you know deep and and passed two defenders, and you know he had to throw a really high arcing ball to get in there and kind of drop in there, and he just drops that dime, and he's got all the touch in the world uh, on on those things, and he still has a gun to get it in there. I'm fine with the fact that he challenges our receivers to make plays out there. Mm-hmm. That, that's the Jermaine Curse catch is a great example of that. You know, you put it up there. There's actually two guys there, but he puts it up where, guy, where his guy can go and get it, and he expects he doesn't hope he expects that his guy is going to go up there and get it, and I love that. Yeah, challenge our guys to make plays if they're your playmaker. Make them make a play, and, and like you said, put it where only your guy is going to catch it. Exactly. So, um, you know, I think that takes care of our, our uh, preview of the 49ers game. Uh, What's your final score? Oh, are we doing predictions now? I don't know. I just thought it'd be fun. Oh, well, we don't have to. No, I, I just uh, uh, I predict the Seahawks will win. Um, yeah. And uh, I want them to win by a lot of points. Yeah. Seahawks are going <laughs> to win 42-13. Okay. I mean, you may have been familiar with that score. Is that the, what it was last year? I think it was. I, I know that uh, we crushed them last year. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. No. You know, if it was 42-13, then I think we should at least try and uh, win by 30 then instead of uh, yeah. we got we to gotta beat out that last year's game. Yeah. Make sure that they know uh, that CenturyLink isn't a place that they're welcome. No. Ever, ever, ever again. Exactly. Yeah. So... Um, that does it for our first half of the show. After we come back, we're going to take a look at, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more 49ers, uh, talk some Jim Harbaugh, uh, talk a little bit of Alden Smith, and uh, some 40, uh, one of his uh, former 49er friends. Uh, and then we're going to finish up the show with uh, Who's Better at Life Than Skip Bayless. So we'll be right back. Welcome back, Seahawkers. Brandon Schultz and Adam Emmert with you. And uh, into some of our favorite segments of the show. Oh, I should also mention, you know, thanks as always to uh, to Chris Johnson at Weehawk12 on Twitter for uh, the great music that uh, is provided for our bumps for the show. Um, and uh, actually, speaking of Weehawk, um, before we get into it, I want to promote the uh, Seahawkers' fifth annual kickoff party coming up. 
here on Saturday from 3 to 11 p.m. at King Street Bar. I know uh, Chris is planning on being there. I really want to get my picture taken with Weehawk, so I, I'm really hoping he's there. And uh, it's going to be a great time. Uh, Seahawkers, uh, everyone's invited, uh, members of the Seahawkers. And even if you aren't a member of the Seahawkers, uh, you should come down to King Street Bar and Oven right there on King Street. It's just to the north of the north parking lot from CenturyLink Field. And uh, it's going to be a good time. Uh, Seagals are going to be there. Uh, I know that's why Adam wants to go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You should show up, folks. It's going to be more fun than a person should be allowed to have. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Author Unknown, uh, they're a cover band. Uh, they're going to be playing at 7 o'clock. Uh, guaranteed to rock your hawks off, it says. Uh, I don't want my hawks to come off, though. Well, maybe rock your hawks just enough. Uh, they, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm, so, fine. I'm yeah. for that then. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> um, another thing, uh, silent auction and raffle, uh, the proceeds are going to go to the Ronald McDonald House. So uh, oh, wow. good okay. cause there as well. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully we'll see you there. Adam and I, we're going to try and be there. Um, may not be there right at 3, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, party goes to 11. It does. Uh, yep. we'll, uh, we'll, maybe we'll help close the place down with you. Um, oh, yeah, that's happening. That's happening. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, so sixth, uh, the fifth annual kickoff party for the Seahawkers at King Street Bar and Oven. All right, so let's get into it. Let's talk some Jim Harbaugh. Uh, yeah. you, <laughs> as you know, we've talked about in the past, it's good to have yeah. a healthy sports hate, and, uh, and this oh, is what yes. helps build it. Oh, yes. Um, you know, and, and I have to say, there are some things that Harbaugh commented uh, just this past week, and and I'm kind of... I'm getting to where I might be a little bit worried about Jim Harbaugh. Um, he made like some, on the inside, like I, as a person, or, or yeah, as okay. uh, almost on that person-to-person feelings type level. I, you know, I, it kind of has me concerned because he made some comments this week that, or the, going into this week, that kind of make him sound like that crazy ex-girlfriend that you have. <laughs> you know, the the one that totally takes your comments out of context and turns them around and makes it sound as though you're somehow making some kind of personal attack on you. You know, like, oh no. Um, those those pants, uh, they don't make you look fat. Are, are you saying I'm fat? Of course. Uh, yeah. Yes, I am, actually. So, it, it, you could trim down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those, uh, those comments uh, Harbaugh made kind of have the twinge to it. And uh, uh, so, Adam, you know the quote I'm talking about here. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read it off for you because this was the quote that set Harbaugh off this week. Coming into the game, Clay Matthews was on Mike and Mike, and uh, he made some comments about... Um, just the kind of the approach that they were going to take in the game against the 49ers and how they wanted to get to the quarterback and and the rules around those um, the quarterbacks that run the read option. Um, and Matthew said, one of the things that the referees have told us is that when these quarterbacks carry out the fakes, they lose their right as a quarterback, a, a pocket passing quarterback, the protection of a quarterback. So with that, you have to take your shots on the quarterback, and obviously they're too important to their offense. If that means they'll pull them out of that type of offense and make them run a traditional drop-back pocket-style offense, I think that's exactly what we're going for. So you want to make you want to put the hits on them early and often on the quarterback and make them uncomfortable. That, that's what Matthew said. I think the only thing that Matthew's left out is that you want to put the hits on the quarterback early and often and out of bounds. Out of bounds with a cl- <laughs> flying clothesline. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that actually came late in the game, so I think that was some of the frustration. I think they wanted to get there early. I think they wanted – but, you know, 
uh, Kaepernick did pretty well as a pocket passing quarterback. Sure. It's a lot like when you sell out uh, state secrets to the media, you, you lose your, your right to, for protection in that country and you yeah. have to go and live in a Russian airport. This is a lot like it is for the quarterbacks. When you, you know, make that fake and you hold on to the ball, you give up your right as a, you know, to have those protections as a quarterback. And th- I mean, that's just, that, that makes sense to me. Right. But you know, that's why we're talking about Harbaugh. He couldn't just take it on face value. He had to be like, oh, hell no. I'm going to the league on this. This sounds like Clay Matthews is targeting my player. Well, Clay Matthews is really mean, so you got to watch out because he's going to hurt his quarterback. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's kind of, you know, how he sounded. You yeah, know? That's exactly. kind of the voice I had in my, you know, we, we've, uh, I think we've added a new voice to Harbaugh, at least uh, yeah, every one of Harbaugh. these shows. So. There's, my, there's my whiny, uh, whiny like, half- Elmer, Elmer Fudd. Fudd. Yeah. 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 I don't want him hit my quarterback. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. This is one of those things where, look, there's a style of play that you play. And this is a style of play that endangers your quarterback to being hit. You know, it's like running a spread offense. You have less guys in to protect him, and, you know, he's going to take more hits. That's yeah. the nature of the game. And with the speed that the game is played, you know, a guy on the defensive line isn't going to come through the line and go, oh, it looks like Kaepernick is trying to cradle the ball. And does he have the ball or is he faking? I'm going to, you know, think about it for a little bit before I make the tackle. I mean, you don't have that much time. And, you, you know, when you, think of, when you think of linebackers like Clay Matthews, it's not like he's going to sit and have an intellectual conversation in his head about whether or not Kaepernick has a ball. He's just going to look and be like, sometimes he's going to blow it up. Yeah. <laughs> he's just gonna he's go not ahead. even going to check to see if he's out of bounds. No, he's just going to blow him up because that's Clay Matthews, what he does, you know? So I don't know. I, I, I think it's a fair thing. But Harbaugh, yeah, he did kind of have a little hissy about it. Apparently, you know, he talked to the officials all before the game about how worried he was for his widow quarterback. Yeah, and, there, and we don't even have to get into the whole article about how he disagreed with the whole approach that the officials are taking with it, that he doesn't think that the the quarterback should lose his right to, as a, um, to have that protection. Yeah. I mean, apparently he, he doesn't want the skirt to come off the quarterbacks is basically what it boils down well, to. And as a for, former quarterback, maybe that's understandable. <laughs> that's true. So speaking of Harbaugh, uh, you know, we uh, have our Faces of Harbaugh segment that we post up on our, our Seahawkers podcast Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash Seahawkers podcast. And uh, every week we're going to try and post a picture of Harbaugh up there. It, you know, it doesn't take very, very long to watch these press conferences before Harbaugh makes some kind of crazy face. Uh, that you're able to screen capture and uh, and so that's what we do for you and, and this uh, recent one you can go up on our Facebook page and check it out and obviously I'll, I'll post the winner so uh, as you're uh, listening to this you can check it out on our Facebook page but you know Harbaugh kind of has his mouth covered and you can kind of see his uh, his jacked up pinky uh, yeah he's kind of got his hand up above his mouth you know and his you his can't pinky. tell if he's smelling his fingers or if he's about to throw up or if he's you know making you know some kind of emotional gesture or if somebody just told him that his quarterback might be able to be hit if he runs the rain option <laughs> exactly <laughs> i don't know you know uh, so we took that grab and we threw it out to you guys and uh wanted to see what uh what you thought of it uh maybe what he could have been thinking in the moment um you know uh darren had a good comment a good uh, molly shannon uh, saturday night live reference uh sometimes when i get nervous like when we play the hawks i put my hands under my armpits then i smell them like this <laughs> 
Uh, Chad had a good one. Uh, I think he was going for a Caddyshack reference when he said five bucks says he eats it. Uh, uh, Chad, you failed there. It's 50 bucks, uh, I think. Know your or, Caddyshack. Yeah, know your Caddyshack, Chad. Yeah. Uh, JJ says, uh, just saw Kaepernick kiss his arm. I threw up in my, a little in my mouth. <laughs> That's an involuntary reaction, by the way. It is, and I, I yeah. think the same thing when uh, I do it. You know, in fact, I, I think I tweeted it out uh, before the game, but uh, isn't it kind of interesting? You know, Kaepernick has his kind of, uh, you know, kiss arm move, and, you know, Cam Newton has his ripping his shirt open kind of pose, and, you know, Aaron Rodgers does the championship belt thing. Yeah. I am really glad we have a quarterback that doesn't have some kind of douchey move that he does when he scores a touchdown. The, the only move that Russell Wilson has is appearing on the cover of Men's Health. That's, <laughs> that's his move right there. It's a good move. Yeah. Uh, back, to, uh, back to these. Uh, uh, Eric, uh, you know, appreciated Eric's here. He was going with the theme of the show. I thought I was better at life than Skip Bayless. Then he broke my pinky. <laughs> That's true. But he's kind of an old frail man, that Skip Bayless. If you get your pinky broken by Skip Bayless, you're yeah. definitely not better at life than Skip Bayless. No, and, and maybe it was a younger Skip Bayless because I, I think... Uh, More spry Skip Bayless. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Um, and then shout out to Tracy, a military Seahawkers present. She had yeah. a good one. Uh, I thought it might be a little bit of nepotism if we pick her as a winner, but she says, uh, Crow tastes the same coming back up, too. <laughs> I guess I'll have to get used to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, because indeed it does taste just as bad coming back up. And uh, and this week, it looks like we have a new winner, Dave P. He made no attempt to hold on to his title. So if you're out there, Dave. Uh, Dude. You got to try and win it back next week. Dude, you got to defend your title, man. Got to try and defend your title. Oh, that's, that's inexcusable. But this person almost won it last week. And she pulled through this week. I'm really happy with our female listeners. Tammy's uh, got some consistency. Tammy's got some consistency, and she pulled it off this week. Maybe I should have watched the film before signing Chris Harper. <laughs> That's always helpful. That's always helpful. And yeah, because uh, Chris Harper uh, apparently still does nothing when I, he gets on the football I don't team. know if he even played or what happened there. But, Hard telling uh, not knowing. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Congratulations, Tammy. Uh, we'll meme the photo, and uh, you will have bragging rights for a week uh, until Dave P. Uh, and, and the others try to uh, dethrone try and, you. Try and dethrone you. But uh, you got a pretty good run in you, Tammy. So yeah. uh, we're looking forward uh, to seeing what you have this week. Better go big on the next podcast, too, Tammy. Go big. Okay. All right. So let's get into NFC Worst. Uh, and keeping with our theme, we'll continue with the 49ers. Uh, and I have to say, you know, if. Uh, if you've been hearing on this last week or so that the 49ers have a lot of weapons, the reporters might not be talking about guys like Frank Gore and Kaepernick and Bolden uh, or any of those other guys on offense. They were probably talking about 49ers linebacker Alden Smith because <laughs> apparently he has a lot of weapons, he, literally. Yeah, he, he does. Uh, some people would call them firearms. Uh, in another so, word. Yeah, another word for him. But, uh, you know. Apparently, he's decided, and this is one of those stories that I can't believe has not become mainstream. This is, it's like, it's like Watergate all over again. Like I heard about it a little bit, like and covered it, up it and went away, and I think yeah. it was because of the kickoff. I mean, because when Thursday came around, I mean, everybody was talking Broncos and, and yes. Ravens, yeah. and, and really... Uh, you didn't hear this story play out a whole lot. No. So tell us a little bit about about it, Brandon, because this is, uh, you know, these guys are, you know, maybe not above reproach. Yeah. So Alden Smith and uh, former 49er Delaney Walker, apparently, like I said, they have weapons and they aren't afraid to break them out for like no apparent reason. <laughs> you know, 
And instead of, uh, you know, at most parties, when you turn down the stereo and, you know, kind of uh, get everybody's attention to make an announcement that, hey, okay, it's getting a little too rowdy. Time for everybody to go home. The kegs are gone. The kegs are gone. You know, time to wrap it up. You know, 2 Mm -mm. a.m. Time to go. No. Smith and Walker break out their Glocks. And start firing away. Oh, yeah. Totally. Party's over. Yeah. And apparently it was a pretty rowdy party anyway. Apparently, you know, gang members coming through. They aren't checking, you know, people coming through with weapons. Uh, this is kind of a oh, crazy sure. sounding party. Oh, pull out your own weapons at that point because that'll definitely make it better. You know, the one thing I do, I mean, I've partied a little bit in my lifetime, you know, and I've been pretty hammered at times. And you know what I don't do? I don't pull out my gun and start shooting into the air fiesta style to tell everybody to go home. You know, that's just not the, the I, I don't close down my party ghetto style now apparently you uh, would not belong as a member of the 49ers you know one of those players who is above reproach uh as we mentioned uh, harbaugh saying you know back in uh just a couple weeks ago um, my question is when pac-man jones ended up suspended what was it like a whole year for his little strip club strip club gun incident strip club the strip club um yeah it uh he gets suspended a year how is alden smith not suspended for a year over this because the you know, final part of this is one of the pa- or patrons of the party actually got shot, and it says that he's had like irreparable damage and like mm-hmm. mental issues and blah blah blah. And so he's filed a lawsuit. Yeah, because this actually happened a year ago. Yeah, yeah. This is this has been a while now. Right, but now the the lawsuit's just uh, you know starting to percolate through right. courts and, and all that. So uh, I don't know if I don't know how Alden Smith is not suspended for this. You know, if if Clay Matthews gets fined for the hit on Kaepernick out of bounds. Before Alden Smith gets some kind of punishment for this, there's something wrong. Yeah, there's something seriously wrong here, Holmes. Like, that's that's not good. That's not good. So, uh, yeah, by far, the NFC worst, in my opinion. Yeah, so congratulations to the Niners. Our pick this week for NFC worst. <laughs> Closing down a, a party, gat gat. Gat gat. Yeah. Time to go home. <laughs> Done. Exactly. So, uh and uh, that brings us to my to, favorite. And my favorite. Who's better at life? Than Skip Bayless. Yes. Yes. And uh, you know what? Uh, who's going to go first this week? I think I'm going to go first, actually. You go first. Way. Yeah. I- I'm right. taking the bull by the horns because, uh, uh, you know, my better at life than Skip Bayless is going to be a guy with a, sim- a similar sounding name, Chip Kelly. Okay. Uh, yeah. Skip and Chip. Skip and Chip. Yeah. But uh, Chip Kelly, the new head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, we're recording this just right after the Philly game got done. It actually was playing as we were recording the first segment. Robert uh, Griffin looked like he survived the game, I think. He did, but he was scored. He, he was not looking good. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, my better at life than Skip Bayless is Chip Kelly because I am really impressed with the brand of football, the exciting, innovative, uh, very watchable brand of football that he's bringing the NFL in. I mean, watching them play with that kind of tempo, they had 30 plays in the first quarter. Holy nuggets. That's a ton. Yeah. And uh, so I'm really impressed. I'm really excited about it. I love innovation. I love people that push the envelope. I love people that, uh, you know, try to, you know, just think outside the box. And he, it's clear that he's doing it. And it's clear that it can work, at least in the short term. You know, it's one of those things that you don't know if it's going to last forever, you know, kind of all out the wildcat with exactly. uh, the pats with the and the fins. Yeah, I mean, remember that? The, you know, fins bust that out on him, and, uh, you know, they, the Patriots looked inept a lot like the skins did tonight against Chip Kelly's offense. But, you know, that's, fu- that's a fun brand of football. Oh, yeah, and the interesting thing to me, too, is you see more of these guys coming out of the Pac-12, you know, like Carroll and Harbaugh and now Kelly. That's a good point. And, uh, you know, actually... 
having legitimate success. In the success. NFL. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and you mentioned it. I mean, they actually make the Eagles something that you want to watch because they were not watchable last season. Oh no, they were. They were. Oh, that was that was bad. That was the corpse of a dream team if I'd ever seen one. It was that was terrible. Everybody, nobody could stand Andy Reid at that point. So, so congratulations to Chip Kelly. You're better at life than Skip Bayless for making the Eagles watchable again. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, mine. Uh, I'm going football, but I'm actually uh, dropping all the way down to high school football for this one. This was a cool story. This is a cool story, and right here in our backyard in Montana. And you might have actually seen it. It actually, you know, when I saw this story, it was just in one of our um, in our local. Uh, uh, online uh, TV stations here in Montana. And uh, two days after it went, uh, it really blew up. And, and this guy, this kid in high school, uh, just outside of Billings, Montana, he really started getting a lot of coverage and deservedly slow, uh, deservedly so. Oh, no, that's a bad pun at that point. <laughs> deservedly slow. Well, the, the dude is not slow. And, yeah. and, and the, way, the reason why Adam says that's a bad pun, <laughs> this, this kid just a year ago, he was injured in a high school football game and had to get his leg amputated. It was a compound fracture. Wow. It got infected, and the doctors told the kid, the only way you ever have a chance at playing football again is to have your, to have your leg cut off below the knee. That's insane. And so he goes through with it. And uh, the kid is just on fire with his response to get back into it and start getting after it, start working out. He was two weeks after having the surgery, he was back on the team with his fi- uh, back on the field with his team, cheering them on, cheering his coaches Whoa. on. And I mean, this kid has it. I, and and so just uh, in the springtime, yeah, you know, just. It, yeah, he, in, the, in the fall he gets injured, and so in the springtime, he track time rolls around. Track time rolls around, and he's out there running on his prosthetic leg. That's insane. I know. <laughs> and the next time I whine about any injury and I stop running for a while, I, I'm going to think of this kid because uh, this is unbelievable. Well, I mean, and uh, and I'm not even getting to the best part of the story yet, but you juxtapose it against a guy like Robert Griffin III getting injured, having his ACL injured, and we're just amazed by the fact that he can come out and play week one in the NFL season. I mean, this kid had his leg cut off, and, and he, he comes back, and he plays in the opening game of his high school team and scores two touchdowns. <laughs> he scored two touchdowns. Two touchdowns. Holy cow! That is unbelievable. On an amputated leg. Uh, I, I I didn't score one high school touchdown with all my legs. That's uh, we didn't even survive our junior high basketball team to, no, to make not. it in high school. No, so. we did not. Well, everybody grew and I didn't. I was like five two <laughs> until my senior year. Man, it was brutal. <laughs> so you know, and, and the you know this kid just has such a great upbeat. You know, go-getter mentality. I mean, his doctors told him that he was likely to never play again. And it just amazes me, you know, you hear the stories all the time of guys in the NFL. They have all those naysayers that they have to deal with that say, hey, you're never going to play at X level. You know, you're never going to play for, you know, you're never going to start in high school. You're too short to play quarterback. Exactly. And they find a way to persevere and even this guy with, without a leg and um, tough as know, nails, tough as nails. And, 
uh, his his favorite team. We talked about the Bobcats before. He's a he's a big Montana State uh, Bobcat fan. That's his one fault. Okay, well, he's, I'll he's, give him one. No, nobody can be perfect. Hey, it's fine. Eastside Montana. That's where you grew up. That's where you live. Yeah, that's true. You nope. got to be a Bobcat fan over there. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so if you have to be. <laughs> I'm not faulting this kid for anything. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so Montana State came in, and they offered him a uh, a preferred walk on scholarship. So he's going to have an opportunity to try and make the, the his favorite college team. That's that's a actually very classy move by Montana State. I, yeah. I will applaud them for that. So great story, and I mean, you see the video on this kid. Uh, ABC News. If you go to theirs, they have some great video of of just you know, it, it's amazing the way they shoot it. Um, they shoot like the first couple minutes, and you just see him out there running, and then after you know a couple shots, you see that he's running on a prosthetic leg, and it's just amazing, mind blowing. Yeah, the amount of speed and the amount you know the amount of mobility he has, and I mean. He said the the pain of running on that prosthetic is actually excruciating is the term that he used. And because the bone in his leg, the grinding on the prosthetic, he said that the pain is so bad, but he loves doing what 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 he's doing. You know, wow. What you know, for the love of the game. What an amazing story. What's the kid's name again? His name is Coney Dole. Coney Dole, you are better way better at life than Skip Bayless. Congratulations so, to you. Congratulations, Coney Dole. We'll be rooting for you, wishing you all the best in the future. And you know what? I, I think that's a, a great way to end the podcast this week. Um, you know, we're going to be on the road here soon. Yep. We'll be at the game. We'll at be the at the game, party. I hope, you know, party. if you guys are there, I hope that, uh, you know, maybe we ought to put up a, a picture of us on the Facebook page so people know what we yeah, look like. Yeah, track us down. Yeah, definitely check us down, track us down, say hi. You know, we'd love to love to chat with you a little bit. We appreciate all of you that do listen. Um, you know, it's 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 quite uh, humbling at times and uh we we definitely appreciate that. But definitely come down, have a beer and uh yeah, it'll be it'll be a good time. It'll so. be a good time. You know, we'll have a great kickoff party and uh you know, we'll be doing a ton of tailgating before the game kicks yeah. off on Sunday, late start, so we got plenty of time. Yeah. Uh, so we'll be out and around doing, uh, doing the tailgating thing too. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, thanks for checking us out on Twitter at Seahawkers pod, uh, our Facebook page, facebook, facebook.com slash Seahawkers podcast. And, uh, you know, as always, we're going to finish this podcast by saying one thing, go Go Hawks. Hawks.